Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud with Pastor D. Today is Tuesday, February 27th. My name is Joe, and this is the man who double-dog dares you to be dangerous to darkness. Ooh. Oh, nice. And that is Pastor Dwayne Watts. Whoa. Man, that, like that, huh? that just sounded exactly like words should sound. <laughs> you and alliteration. Wow. It's crazy. Mm. Gave me a little shiver. I think... Uh, I think the crowd at church from now on, when you stand out there and come in and go out, when they come up to say hello to you, they should all like speak to you in alliteration. <laughs> it's kind of hard to do, though. Um, you got to prepare beforehand. I yeah, guess. write something down. It yeah. would sure get my attention. What you just did. Boy, how many D's was that in a row? Five? Double dog dares, dangerous darkness. Five in a row, yeah. Yeah. Boy, I like that. I don't know why. I just like it. Patterns and stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm drawn to that kind of thing. Was the uh, double dog dare, did that come from the 80s? Because that's when I remember <laughs> it. Yeah, probably. I, I, the first person I ever remember hearing say it was my dad. So oh. I don't know. So that's older than the 80s. Okay. Double dog dare you. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what that means. That's what all my friends said to each other and we were yeah. goofing off. That was a whatever. serious dare. Oh, a double dog. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, not I dare you to do that. Yeah. I double dog dare you to do <laughs> yeah. that. Oh. Well, in that case, hold my yeah. Coke. Yeah, my soda. Yeah. Hold my Kool-Aid. Uh, everything going well at home? Yeah. Yep. All is well. Mrs. Pastor D, kids, they're all doing good. How about the boys? You never report anymore on the boys. I don't want to talk about them. I don't know if anybody even really cares. <laughs> I'll ask the question. It's kind of... <laughs> Well, I'm I'm just gonna blow him do well. I'm gonna blow Darian up because that dude he not, not really uh, everybody I think probably everybody knows he's gone to Florida and he's yeah. you know he's got a job as a worship, worship pastor. pastor there and all that. He called us a couple days ago and he's like, "Well, y'all brace yourselves." And I was like, "Oh no, what, I'm coming home." What did he done? I, that was it. I, but I guess I probably did cross my mind, and it was gonna be followed with, "No, you're not." Uh, he. He has always had an. Uh, he even gets this from me. Some he's got an adventurous bent somewhere in his system. Yeah, bent? is that right? I don't know. Just loves to travel. Well, he got this. It's like a micro opportunity. It's not a big deal opportunity. Micro a micro opportunity that most people would go. No, that's not quite right. Maybe I shouldn't do that. But he's doing it tomorrow, Wednesday. The whatever that day is. What is tomorrow? The fifth. 28th. 28th, yeah. He's getting on a plane and is going to South Africa. Sweet. To join a mission organization there. He's He's quitting his job. Moving. Yeah. He went to his bosses, to the pastors, and he said, you guys, I just don't feel like this is not my shape. I'm trying to force myself into this thing. And he said, I just don't think this is my, this is something I can do. Not what I'm called to do. I'm working right. in my skill set, not in my calling. And so he, he thought of all that. Yeah. As a 20 something year old yeah, kid. 23. Yeah. Ooh, I was close to 50 before I realized that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he, and they, he said, I mean, I know those guys and they were, so they're really supportive. They're like, all right, well, if that's what you think, then go give it a whirl. Go they tr- give him some money to go. I don't know. I hope so. Cause he's got bills. <laughs> he's got college debt. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, he's excited. And so good for him. I'm like, well, you're 23 single. Why not? 
Yeah. Go okay. give South Africa a shot. Oh, did he not have a girlfriend down there? He broke up with her. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's stinking. She was awesome. Better than him. So I don't know. What he, but he's not worried. I mean, whatever. What's he looking for? My boys. I don't, I, man, I don't know. Well, I do know some of it. He wants, he wants to marry somebody who is all the way into ministry. Like, wait, that's all she wants to do. He, that's because of his mom. Probably he, that he, that was his, the pattern he saw growing up with his, with Michelle. And so the girl that he was dating, who was excellent, just such a great young lady. Uh, she was interested in ministry stuff, but she wasn't, she was willing to be a pastor's wife, but she wasn't excited about it. Right. It was just like, well, sure. If that's what you're going to do, that's great. And we'll have a happy life. And she was going to go make a bunch of money. That was her just for, for missions, but she was going to be successful. And so he just couldn't, he was like, no, she just can't be the one. So he let that go. Hmm. So maybe he's now going to go marry some South African. <laughs> Whatever. They got girls down there too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a, and the ministry he's going to join is one that we support, uh, a guy, another guy and his wife who are a part of this ministry. And uh, they do several things, but one of the things they do that Darian is the most interested in is it's a ministry to surfers. And so it's like, a, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's a, yeah, Hold up. It, no, it's a community. I'm going to South Africa <laughs> to surf so that I can reach people for Jesus. Yeah. That's part of what they do. It's not all what they do, Okay, but that's a wing of yeah, they have the, great whites the down there. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. tell him that? I think he knows. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I don't know about all that. Anyway, he's just going to go see what's up, and I don't know. Mike is doing his thing. He's just making money. Not worried about it. Got a girlfriend or anything? Nah. So he's saving a bunch of money. He's just dating whoever. Like, well, not that sounded a little. Whoever. That sounded ladies. Loose. Get in line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have any trouble. They're. Those boys are good looking like their dad. <laughs> You're going to curse yourself. <laughs> uh, boy, oh, man. It's yeah. probably why God took your hair. Yeah, it is. He took my hair, made me fat. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have anything to do with that. Me too. Uh, yeah, all I did was eat salad and canned corn. Here I am. Sticks and twigs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sticks and twigs. Canned corn. Why do I even think of that? I like canned corn. Canned corn. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wondered if you, if you just ate one thing for every meal all day. Like, what if I just ate Frosted Flakes? Would I lose weight all day? Absolutely not. <laughs> frosted Flakes? If I had a box of Frosted sugar. Or, or, or uh, like a bag of Cheetos a day. Because it comes down to calories, right? So, as long as the calories... If I, you have to create a caloric deficit, but yeah, I don't think you can do that by just eating cereal. How many calories are in a box of Frosted Flakes? Ooh, a lot. I ate a couple Frosted Flakes at 11 o'clock last night, and I knew I shouldn't be doing it. Like, oh, Zampic. Yeah. Oh, oh, Zampic. That's right. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> when, you, when you do that late at night, and I've done this before. But when you when it's late at night and you eat something sweet or yeah. whatever it is, when you get done, are you like, man, I shouldn't have done that? Every time. I know I'm going to feel that way. <laughs> I look at that Tony the Tiger. I'm like, how dare you, sir? You get thee behind me, Tony. 
And then I go ahead and pull. But I put it in a cup because then that feels like this isn't, it's not a big bowl. <laughs> it's just a cup. <laughs> and then eat it out of the cup. Mm-hmm. Get, behind, get behind thee, Tony. Yeah. Man. <laughs> Why is cereal so good at night? I don't know. Is that true for everybody? I, I don't think... really want cereal in the morning, but at night I sure do. Frosted flakes, fruit loops. Yeah. I, mm. I, I got to have like a cookie or two before I go to bed. You got to have? Got to have milk and cookies. I got to have milk and a couple of cookies. That's way worse than cereal. There's some redeeming quality. Like one or two cookies, you're eating a bowl <laughs> of cereal. Good cereal, too. Yeah. Like Michelle buys this. Or just get one of those big five pound bags of sugar and <laughs> spoon it into your mouth. Pour, All right. Pour it into the bowl and pour some milk on top of it. Just slurp it like a milkshake. I think doesn't like a teaspoon of sugar only has like thirty calories or something. Well, that's because they're carbs. Is that right? Yeah. I don't, that may be wrong. I think I heard Rush Limbaugh say that one time. Or carbs are that I should say. Yeah, carbs. Just a. Mm. Spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Mm-hmm. Why did I think of that? That's weird. All right, Disney, hold on. <laughs> Disney? Oh yeah, right. That's uh, what kind of food, name? by the way. Did you ever? You didn't say when you went to your friend's house if he made the gravy or if y'all had it. Or oh, what? I haven't been there yet. That's oh, may, uh, I, thought well, that I haven't been. I'm going there actually this week. Maybe it, maybe I changed it. Anyway, yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go over there uh, Thursday. Big plate full of biscuits and gravy. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yep. He's told me he's making it, so I'm gonna. But you went to Cracker Barrel or something? You said, yeah. Did you get like the <laughs> I did chicken fried steak and? Uh, I didn't get chicken fried steak. What did I? Oh no, they got that. What's it called? The big boy breakfast or something? So it was like eggs, scrambled eggs, two sausage sausage patties, and then biscuits and gravy. Hmm. You put the sausage on the biscuit before you put the gravy on there. Then put the eggs on top of that. Oh man. You just mm. eat it like a big, like it's in a blender or something? I guess so. I, I don't know. I just cut it up and eat it. Uh, it was good. And then I ate two biscuits with just jelly on them and butter. <laughs> was there anything left when you left the table? Nope. I ate the whole thing. No, nope, nothing. I left with nothing. Gracious. It was, boy, no good. And then a lady at church, I'm just, Claire Bowman, she's one, she's a, she and her husband, Bo, are stalwart members of Coast Life Church from the very beginning. And uh, she's a excellent cook. And so Sunday morning, she brought us, brought me uh, some hamburger gravy that she had made herself and then tomato gravy, which I've never had before. And uh, tomato gravy. They're all gone now. The tomato gravy was good. Yeah, it was all good. Yeah. I wasn't really sure what to do with it. I think some people would probably uh, eat it on biscuits or something. But to me, it just seemed like Tomatoes? this goes on pasta. So we put it on pasta. Oh, yeah. Like a. Oh, so it was like a sauce, a pasta sauce. Yeah, but re- but like with it was really chunky. It had big chunks of. It had to be kind of tart, though, right? No, it was real sweet. Oh, it was. Yeah, I don't know if she added sugar to it, mm. and it definitely had. It wasn't just vegetables. There was some kind of there was fat in the background. <laughs> it was mm. good. I got some on my hand. I was like, oh wow, that's not, that's really maybe it was butter. I don't know. It was good. Interesting. Yeah, gravy. All right. Yep. Ozempic. <laughs> and and Met Foreman. All right. I've doubled down. All right. Let's see. On today's podcast, we will be discussing some of the talking points from the sermon on being dangerous. First, we'll answer a listener question about pointing out unrighteous things. Then we'll talk about how you can make peace in your life by declaring war. Hmm. We'll go on to discuss peace and joy and how we must have peace in our lives before becoming joyful or whether we should have peace in our lives 
before we become joyful. <laughs> One of those. <laughs> we'll then talk about King David Nabal. Did I say that right? I don't know. People are actually correct. Somebody correct you? So it was. Yeah. Not uh, not about. Yeah. A couple of people are like, I think it's Nabal. And somebody else said it's Nabal. And someone else said something different. I don't know. I actually looked it up and there was no agreement anywhere. Nabal. It's an English translation of an old Hebrew word. So, uh, yeah. They probably weren't saying any of, any of those things. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Let's see. Uh, talk about King David, Nabal, Ab- and Abigail and their situations. Uh, then we'll finish up discussing the kind of medicine your heart needs to keep you in a good mood. Before we do that, we'd like to let you know that this episode of Thinking Out Loud with Pastor D is brought to you by the Purple Apron Bakery. Yeah. The Purple Apron is owned and operated by our very own Mariah Arif. I said it right that time. Yep. She also likes Arif. <laughs> okay. No, she doesn't. I'm going to hear about that for having just said it right then. Yep. Ooh. Uh Operated by our very own Mariah Arif at Coast Life Church. You almost made me say it wrong. <laughs> so if you'd like to satisfy your sweet cravings with their variety of delectable confectionaries, mm. please get in touch with her. As mentioned, there is a wide variety of confections offered by the Purple Apron. They also offer reduced sugar and sugar-free options. And if you mention to her that you heard about the Purple Apron on the podcast you will receive an additional 20% off on top of their already low prices. Wow, that's a remarkable savings. And for anyone looking for that special cake or pie or cookies or cupcakes or whatever baked delight suits your fancy, (laughs) please give her a call. Uh, Let's see. The Purple Apron began back in 2019 in remembrance of Mariah's late husband, Ryan, who passed away from an epileptic condition. Because of that, she now donates a portion of all her proceeds to the Jenna Robinson Charities and the North American Sudet Registry. She is currently approaching the $1,000 mark in donations since she began. Hmm. For those of you who may be wondering, the Jenna Robinson Charity is a local organization here on the Gulf Coast that supplies seizure devices, trains seizure dogs, and brings awareness and education to those who aren't otherwise knowledgeable about epilepsy. And the North American SUDEP Registry is an organization that collects information about people who have been posthumously diagnosed with SUDEP in an effort to understand more about its cause because no one knows at this point what causes it. You know what SUDEP stands for? Nope. Sudden Unexpected Death in Epilepsy. Huh. Yeah. They're trying to figure it out. Maybe Mariah has told me that before. It does not sound familiar. My mom has epilepsy, so I grew up with it. Gotcha. So do yourself a favor and get some delicious treats from the Purple Apron. You can text her at 228-265-2777 if you are in need of something, and she will respond to you in kind. That's the Purple Apron at 228-265-2777. I think she likes the texts better than the calls. Uh, I know she probably, she works another job. She's a full-time mom. Yeah, she's busy. She does this part-time, so uh, mm-hmm. maybe give her a text if you uh, if you want something, and she'll uh, be able to get that for yeah, you. Yeah, she'll respond. Yeah, I'll put her information in the podcast notes, so if anybody needs to look it up, you can see it there. I can testify to the goodness of the uh, sugar-free <laughs> I, thing she makes. Why did I know you were going to say that? <laughs> I was just going to say. I mean, sometimes people think, oh, sugar-free baked is probably not going to be that good, but she... 
She, hers, oh, that's the one where you ate them all? Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. You got to just still eat one. So <laughs> I, she makes sugar-free things, and I eat six of them. So it's the same caloric problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then I've also had the things she made that are, you know, for normal people. <laughs> Just see your thought press process. Yeah. Oh, these are sugar-free? <laughs> yeah. Well, that means I can have as many as I want. Yeah, that's, right. exactly, that's exactly right. Hey, look, Michelle, I found lunch today. <laughs> yeah. See these cupcakes? Yep. Cupcakes, that's what that's what I've had. Maybe, she's, maybe some other <laughs> sugar-free things, too. Oh. They're good. She says you can't tell the difference in them. You can. From, from I can. From the regular sugar ones. I have eaten them side by side and did a long taste test. <laughs> I wonder what kind of sugar she uses. Is it that, uh, I don't know. Is it called stevia? The fake sugar that looks like sugar? Yeah, maybe. I don't. Stevia has kind of an aftertaste, I think, but no. hers doesn't. The stuff she uses. So maybe, I don't know, maybe Splenda, maybe new. Nut- I don't know. Whatever it is. Was there something like m- m- monkey sugar? What do they call it? Monkey sugar? <laughs> That's not right. Tell us where that comes monk, from. Monk fruit. Monk fruit. Not monkey sugar. Monk fruit. <laughs> okay. They right. should call it monkey sugar, though. Monk fruit. <laughs> monkey sugar is when a little chimpanzee gives you a peck on the cheek. You got some uh, monkey okay. sugar. <laughs> Moving on. Oh, man. Y'all, y'all that listen, when you come into church Sunday, please say something to me about monkey sugar, and we will have a good laugh. And then I'll know you're listening. <laughs> My ex-wife used to yell at me all the time about making jokes that only I got. Yeah. I think that's what you're doing. Well, I don't care. <laughs> Not everybody gets our genius. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I never thought of that. I <laughs> like to laugh, so I make jokes at my own expense. Oh, man. Okay. Let's get rolling here. Monkey sugar. <laughs> so first, a uh, listener question. You ready? I'm ready. All right. You guys spoke about Christians having a responsibility to identify sin when it appeared. What about correcting people who say things about God or Jesus or the Bible that we know aren't true? And uh, this person... She told me somebody was spouting off information online in an effort to discredit the existence of God. Yeah. And, of course, she was saying it was impossible because there wouldn't have been people named. This is the dumbest argument. There wouldn't have been people named Matthew and Peter like they are now. Oh, no. And, of course, the simple answer to that is, well, they weren't named Matthew and Peter. <laughs> yeah. Because their translation yeah. from Greek and Hebrew oh, and goodness. whatever else. Anyway, so the guy was saying <laughs> oh, boy. there couldn't be God because those names wouldn't have ever appeared. What, what in the just, world? When I see things like that, yeah, this is just me. I don't know what she did. She didn't tell me. Uh-huh. But uh, when I see things like that, I just ignore them. Yeah. Like <laughs> when it's that stupid, because that's stupid. Yeah. I'm that's, not. That's the right word. I ain't trying to. <laughs> get on nobody but if you're going to chime in with that you're stupid <laughs> yeah that's ridiculous that is you can't have a argument. you can't have a second thought after you say that that goes oh you know what they spoke a different language back then yeah well that's like <laughs> oh my goodness my nine-year-old he knew the answer to that mm-hmm. literally way to go jonah he knew dude's a genius right yeah if he's a genius or not <laughs> genius at getting in trouble <laughs> Well, yeah, you, I think. For, well, we, first of all, 
Is this sin when people say things like this? Uh, I, think they, I think they really believe it. Yeah. Well, like like this guy who's trying to disprove the Bible and and Christianity. Jesus, absolutely, he's sinning. That is that is a that approaches the sin that is unpardonable. He is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Um. Any uh, any even thought, but certainly any any time a person vocalizes what they believe to be evidence that there is no God and that Jesus isn't real, that is blasphemy. And so uh, the question is, do we say something? Do we speak up? I, my, my first answer to that is uh, yes, that I, but you know me and I am happy to pick a fight with somebody like that. Oh, yeah. That's what I'd have done. <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have taken his name and I'd have connected it to the Bible somehow. And then I'd have been like, look where your name came from. Yeah. Man, I wonder what his name was. It was probably a biblical name. Like, unless it was, I, don't know, I shouldn't say probably. There's I'm telling you, you could tie it to something in the Bible. Yeah, you could work it out. But I'd have, I'd have done that just probably Nabal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I think we should call people out like that, but be ready to do that. Like I, I, what I don't like, and I, I used to be this way was I would be a little timid about it, like go in kind of easy and not, uh, not be self-assured when you're going to make the argument when you're, if you're going to argue with somebody, be self-assured, don't, don't tiptoe into that fight, roll up in there bold and aggravated and let them have it. Like, yeah. Don't back down. I probably shouldn't do this, but at the end of the sentence or words that I'm putting, comma, you idiot, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I, I don't. I try not to use the word idiot, but I sometimes will throw in rube. Because <laughs> okay. and, and that's funny because I know some of these people don't even know what rube is. They're like, he just called me a ruby. <laughs> that guy just complimented me. That's uh, exactly what he would have thought. Yeah. You got that right. I am a ruby. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's all right to call those people. We should call those people out, especially if they've got, if they've got some traction and attention. I want to, I, I, well, well, they're looking for it by saying stuff like that. Yeah. Clearly. Or they wouldn't yeah. have said it. Yeah. So there's a Give it to part them. of me that wants them to be embarrassed. I want to destroy their argument. Yes. And have them embarrassed. When Destroyed. Yeah, yeah. So, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, Jesus did it. He sometimes, he he embarrassed the religious leaders who were confronting him He and, and destroyed their argument completely so that they would sort of, you know, put put their tail between their legs and go back to the temple whining. That Jesus left them humiliated more than once. I mean, he didn't do that to like common people, but he also wasn't, he was never challenged spiritually by common people. Not, not necessarily. It was just always those people who thought so much of themselves, those scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders and such. Okay. Boy, who so, cracked them. So when the people like this chime up, I'm like, oh, okay then. So I can just pack me go. a bunch of words up into a little nuclear bomb and just <laughs> drop it on in yeah, there. Yeah. Word bomb. Yeah, that's right. Word bomb. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Go get All right. It. Let's move on to the sermon a little bit. First part about getting yourself some peace. Mm-hmm. Now, you talked about sometimes how it takes war to make peace. Mm-hmm. We don't have experience around these parts with war very often. Yeah. Uh, so the microcosm of the world that we live in. Yeah. Uh, how do we, what kind of wars should we seek to 
mm-hmm. have there? What kind of bombs should we throw? <laughs> yeah. I think I was, pro- I, uh, as I was making that point, I, it was sort of built into my notes and thoughts there. I was thinking back to the, like, to the big wars of the past when peace was when peace was finally accomplished or when peace has been accomplished it's generally been because like i think world war ii finally there was peace after a gargantuous war and like the what's going on right now in israel and and uh the other part of israel called gaza which is israel not palestine the fight that's going on there will eventually resolve itself and there will be peace on the other side of it but there had to be a fight because the those those Arabs picked that fight, and so Israel said, all right, then, if this is what you want to do, here's how it's going to go. And so they've been controlling that fight ever since, and we're working their way back toward peace. So those are big picture, uh, those are big metaphorical pictures of what then goes on in our lives. Sometimes someone says or does something that uh, that breaks the peace, that ruins the peace, that, that uh, dislodges our our peaceful existence. And when they do generally the way that we're going to restore the peace, not, not generally, but sometimes, let me say sometimes, sometimes the way we get back to a peaceful place is by not running from the fight that someone has invited us to have, but going ahead and stepping into it and saying, all right, if this is how it's going to be, then this is just how it's going to have to be. And, uh, you said describe some examples of types of wars that we should seek to have. I think the biggest ones are where souls, a soul or some souls, are in danger of being lost or never coming to Jesus. Uh, sort of what we talked about before with some of these people who chime up on social media or whatever and say stupid things. That was uh, the dumbest thing. I can't even think of anything dumber. To <laughs> yeah, say. that guy was, that's ridiculous. They're just trying to get attention for themselves. Yeah, so I think, be what it is. I think we got to sometimes go ahead and have that fight. Um, give them the tension of the bomb the, words, that the, the word bomb. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, just in our day to day lives, like sometimes Jesus said that we need to, we, we, that blessed are those who create peace. And so sometimes the way we create peace is when someone has created chaos that we wade into that chaos with, with his uh, 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 presence and power at work in us, we weigh into that chaos, kind of face it head on, which means there is going to be some kind of a fight, have the fight, and then come out of that fight victorious because Jesus can't lose. I mean, we there are very noble battles that we fight in our lives against people. Uh, I, mean, like, I mean, because truly, this is also what the Bible says, that our, our battle is really not with people. It's not with flesh and blood. It is with the... Uh, the dark powers at work behind the scenes in this world. When peace is disrupted in our lives here, it's not really the person or the people. It's something sinister behind them, something sinister perhaps at work in them. Demons, the devil, uh, that they've given into temptation. They've been offered, uh, they've been tempted to do something, and for whatever reason, they've given into it. Even people who are Christians, they can, they, they can turn away from their faith because of the temptation to do so. And when they do, invariably, they create problems. And so those are fights that we that we have to engage in. At least try. Like those those people go on having a free will. So we can even fight with people about their danger they could be causing themselves. And ultimately they can just decide not to give in. They can actually turn their back on us and say, I'm not having this fight with you anymore. I'm gonna be what I want to be and my soul's in the balance and I don't care. And they can walk away and be lost to eternity. That happens. But I still think we have to have 
Sometimes we have to have the fight wherein we are primarily concerned with the eternal outcome of whatever the disagreement is about, whatever the war is about, whatever the fight is about, because it is the eternal part that matters. The temporal stuff doesn't matter. It does. It's, I said this some Sunday, like the stuff that we get so worked up about in this life, most of it could not matter less because it's all going to burn. Not nothing here. The only things that lasts are souls. And uh, I think that when, when a soul or some souls are, are in danger, uh, Jesus in me would say, you got to go, you have to go fight your way into that and try to save those souls. It's totally a Rambo moment. You see people in danger and you're just like, man, I'm, our soul's in danger. I'm going to try to go save them. G, uh, Jude, Jesus' little brother said, snatch people from the fire, but be careful that you don't fall into the fire yourself. So hmm. if it, it, Do. it does come down to souls. Do you think sometimes the wars that we need to face are with ourselves? So like you just said, if when you recognize yeah. a situation where mm-hmm. help is needed, is is the real war within yourself sometimes? Yeah. Just I, getting up the nerve to go say something? Or? I think it's probably, it can happen both ways. Sometimes it is me just getting up the nerve. Uh, as I, I said before, like if you don't be timid, know what you know to be true and then wade into that battle with your, you know, swinging your sword. Like I am right here. I in Christ have the privilege of being absolutely accurate. And, uh, that doesn't mean that I myself might not make some mistake at some point in some conversation or battle or disagreement. But generally, as I lean on Jesus, I'm going to say and do the right things because it's him speaking through me. And so, yeah, we do have to convince ourselves sometimes, like, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And I don't know why we don't. Why? I mean, I, some people who are the least timid people that I can think of will become very timid if this is the issue. you got to go have a hard conversation with that guy or with that lady. And they're like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. And I'm like, but you could do it. You can, you're, you're good at this. You're you're a, like an aggressive individual. And they're like, well, I just don't feel comfortable. And I think that's just so strange that we can be that way. So, yeah, sometimes it is a battle uh, with ourselves about what we should go do. Sometimes the battle is just with myself. I am at war inside of my own self. I mentioned temptation a couple minutes ago. And sometimes that is the, I think that's a huge fight that we, maybe a lot of the times it's a huge fight. We have to fight within ourselves. But Jesus has said that if I am tempted, he said this through, I can't, I think it was, I can't remember if it was Luke or Paul, I, one of those guys. Uh, but he said, if you're tempted, he will provide a way out. You might not, I might not take the way out, but Jesus said, you're going to be tempted in lots of ways to do lots of things that you shouldn't do. I will always provide for you a way out, but you got to decide to take that way out. And that's, that's a battle, a big time battle for Everybody, at times when we're tempted to say or do things that we shouldn't, to you know, have the fight with ourselves and to win, because at that point, my soul is is in the balance. As a, if I give in to temptation so much that sin stops to seem like sin, then I could meander right away from Jesus and can be convinced that I'm still His, that He's still lo- forgiving me when I'm not even asking for forgiveness anymore, which He does not do. Could that include things like things we should do for ourselves? I mean, clearly, I need to lose a little weight. But, uh, <laughs> yes, you know, is that is are those are those things that we would view the same way? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't fight with myself when I sit down to eat a bowl of cereal or yeah, 
well, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, yeah. I don't feel mm. guilty after I use my credit card to buy something. <laughs> yeah. You know, but at mm. the same time, shouldn't I be, if I had problems in these areas. Yeah. Or if I had a problem spending money mm-hmm. or just anything, it could be anything. Right. Uh is there ever a time where you yeah. declare a war on yourself? You know what? <laughs> yeah. It's time for me to stop that. Yeah. It's, that's an, an excellent thought. One of the fruits of the spirit, I think we talked about this a little last week, was is uh, self-control, that evidence of my faith in Jesus and that, and that the Holy Spirit lives in me, which he does in every Christ follower. Evidence of that is some self-control. And so if I do have a problem controlling myself in any area, uh, whether it be food, which I do have a problem in that area, or spending, which I don't necessarily have a problem with because I'm tight, uh, but wh- whatever whatever the temptation is, I mean, there's a long list. Let's not just list sins, but everybody knows what their you know temptation struggle is. That you, we are there's a way in which we're picking a fight with ourselves and. I mean, temptation doesn't come from God. 100% of temptation comes from demons, not the devil specifically. He's not omnipresent. He doesn't know everything. He's not everywhere. But there's lots of demons all over the place. And so when we are tempted to do something, that temptation, that is an active interaction with a demon. Isn't? I don't want to sound too creepy, but it is an active interaction with a demon. We have those interactions all the time. And they're normal to us. We're not... Uh, I, I think... We're so accustomed to the darkness that is all around us that we we kind of just take its presence uh, lightly. I was going to say for granted, but that's not right. We take we recognize it, and we kind of don't care. So when temptation comes, I need to recognize the reason that I wanted to have that cereal last night at 11 o'clock, which was really bad for me. I'm not supposed to do that, and I'm not supposed to have sugar. I wasn't hungry. I just wanted it. That, that, was, a, that was a... <laughs> People are going to, they're going to eye roll this, but it's true that that was a demonic interaction wherein I lost. I knew it was bad for me. I knew it was unhealthy. I knew that I was not going to be glorifying God with that cup of delicious Frosted Flakes. But I went ahead and was like, eh, it's not going to kill me today. Like it might kill me over time, but it's not going to kill me tonight. I'll be all right tomorrow morning. Let me get that Ozempic shot. Bam. And uh, that's uh, that's losing a battle. I lost, uh, I lost a little battle. <laughs> last night with that bowl of cornflakes well frosted flakes right. so yeah i mean sometimes we just gotta we gotta push back and recognize man the reason i'm tempted to do this thing is because there is darkness in the world and there is something demonic that's just trying to push a button in me and i'm not giving in so push back from the table turn off the computer walk away from the buffet get the behind me tony yeah. the tiger <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right we just we have to remove ourselves from the situation. I mean, sometimes it's it's uh, a lot of times it's a pride thing. Uh, step back from the conversation because I realize it's now more me than it is Jesus. Right. I got to get out of that conversation and wait to get some self control, and then come back. Right word <laughs> word. <laughs> we live in a day and age where people are perpetually offended. Yeah. Everything offends somebody. Yeah, doesn't matter what it is. I'm offended that you said that. Okay. How dare you? Um, <laughs> we know that the world has constantly been at war over the years. Mm-hmm. But my question is, with you talking about getting some peace, mm-hmm. the most recent wars that we have 
seen, almost all wars are over money. Yeah. But there are now some that aren't. Mm-hmm. And I would use the Muslims as an example. Yeah. Ideological. Uh, is is their anger brought on by society's general demeanor for being offended at everything? Or is this something new that we've seen? Yeah. Well, as it applies to that culture in particular, at the birth of the Arab culture, which then became the Muslim culture, they weren't always Muslims. Um, that's only been around since Muhammad chimed up. But way before that, when when Ishmael was born and he and his mom went off and he got married and started this, the whole the Arab culture, uh, they have always been described, even in scripture, described as being angry and against everyone, just always. And they always have been. That that culture has always been in opposition to every other culture, uh, wild and dangerous. And uh, again, biblical description of the children of Ishmael. Do you think they? Do you think they feel like they're making headway in the world because now they're allowed to be offended? Hmm. I uh, I know that. Why a weird I mean, noise? I just percentage wise in the world, they're not growing like Christianity is. They never have been. Yeah. And it's relatively the same as it's always been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Islam is a single, generally a single culture faith. I mean, they have made some inroads into other cultures, but basically, it's a, it's it's primarily a single culture faith, where Christianity is an every culture faith. And there is probably an uh, an Islamic jealousy of that. Their goal is to remove all Christianity from the world and replace it with Islam. And uh, they probably feel like they're they're they continue to make headway because here in the United States of America, where they were one, I mean, where Islam was nearly outlawed. Now, not anymore. Like, I mean, and and in Europe, before everybody else now. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's they're in right. the front of the line. Yeah, uh, and it's it's happened that it happened it has happened that way in parts of Europe as well. I mean, especially in the more developed parts than uh, Western Europe. We talked about that a lot, but yeah. And so let me circle back around to uh, sort of the demonic emphasis that is behind them. Islam is a demonic religion. It is satanic. It is, it is they are actively worshiping Satan. There is no God named Allah, and Muhammad was not a prophet. He was a he was a demon possessed man who created a religion under the power and the inspiration of the devil. And so came this horrific religion that took uh, all the tribes, all the Arab tribes with all of their different gods and put them under one tent. And so uh, their war has always been, the uh, the Islamic war has always been an ideological one. They just want to just get rid of all the Jews and all the Christians. That's what they hate us. They hate all of us. They all hate us all, including our senator, those senators in the United States government who are Muslims. They hate everybody around them, but they, they treat them all like useful idiots because it is their goal to subvert the American plan, the American government to replace it with, with Sharia law, tear down all the churches or turn them all into uh, mosques. That's their goal. Do you think they're using the ability to be offended to their advantage? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you now can't say anything that somebody else doesn't like. I mean, well, unless that somebody else is a Christian, you can offend Christians all day long. Right. We we're the majority. And so, well, you said earlier 
basically you said it's more important to be right than it is to mm. anything else. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so those who we who have right on our side are the target. And if you are right, then you you if if you are accurate accurate, then you've lost your right to be offended. But if you are uh, if your opinion is in question, then you must not be. You can't you can't offend somebody who's not who hasn't been recognized as perfectly accurate because they're already going through so much. It's already so hard on them because not everybody appreciates or approves their idea or their ideology. And so let's not, let's not offend those poor people because they're not yet part of the mainstream. All you got to do to find yourself in a place where people don't care if you're offended is be mainstream, be, be the voice, be the voice or the, person or perspective at the top of the heap and then everybody will just throw rocks at you and that's where the church in america has been and even still is today the church still not not the grip that it had 50 years ago but still has a pretty tight grip on on uh culture and so we christians continue to be the target but we can see it that uh, i mean like the methodist church They've totally now fallen off. The Catholic Church is not making any significant spiritual emphasis anymore in America. Um, there's just a couple of denominations and then a whole bunch of non-denominational churches who have said, we are not going to be, I mean, go ahead and try to offend us. We are going to offend you back because we're doing it in Jesus name. And if you take offense at that, which we expect you will, then so be it. You just have to be offended because we're right. Okay. Um, you want to talk about. Proper punishment makes us behave mm -hmm. and leads us to peace. Yeah. So I think understanding what proper punishment is, is yeah. the key here. Originally, I was going to ask you about kids and right. how to define proper punishment for mm -hmm. kids. But it holds for adults, too. I mean, yeah. we're all products of, and when I say product, that's multiplied. Mm -hmm. We're all products of the decisions we make during our lives. Yeah. So... A lot of people start off behind the eight ball. Yeah. They're poor. They live in a rural area. I mean, their skin color, whatever. They could yeah. be, There could be some sort of disadvantage mm -hmm. for them. And it's up to them to make up for that as they grow older. Some of right. them are able to. Some of them aren't. Yeah. And when they make mistakes or make decisions that aren't righteous, mm -hmm. then eventually they have to reap the rewards of that decision. Yeah. So can you define proper punishment for us and how that might play, not just for kids, but for mm -hmm. adults too? Yeah. When I was talking or I was quoting probably Paul, I, I was coming through, uh, making my way through Hebrews, which is, uh, I, let me just say this before I get on and, and dig into that answer. I'm, I'm going to continue to say Paul, although there are parts of Hebrews that seem like they might not be Paul writing. This part in particular did seem like him, but there is there's, uh, some, uh, some discussion. There has always been. Well, not always. For the last 450 years, there's been a discussion about whether or not it was Paul that was writing it, or was it Luke that was writing it, or was it Paul and Luke writing it together? Was Paul saying stuff and Luke was writing it down? Sometimes it really sounds like Paul, sometimes it really sounds like Luke, and sometimes it kind of sounds like somebody else. Um, but I'm going to keep saying Paul, because my perspective is Paul said it and Luke wrote it down with perfected Greek that, that even Paul, though he was brilliant, did not understand. So, when Paul probably Paul was talking about this particular issue. He described his own experience with his own father and how he had been corrected uh, in such a way that it was painful to him. 
painful so that he would it would make a mark. Careful, you're going to offend me. <laughs> yeah, he would. He it was he uh, spanking. There's the word. Uh, he actually said like would put his bow across my back. So that sounds pretty abusive. Um, but as Paul was describing this, he said what he essentially said. I'm going to now paraphrase. He said, but. The punishment I received, I deserved because of my bad behavior. I had done something I shouldn't do. And so I was corrected in a way that at the time seemed harsh. He even said that at the time it was just very unpleasant and harsh. And it maybe didn't even seem fair. Like, why am I experiencing modern American word? Why am I getting a spanking for doing that? I know I shouldn't have done it, but it's already over now. Why am I being punished for it in a way that's painful? And he said, because... My father was working in my life, was working toward a harvest of righteousness. He wanted to help me learn not to do things I shouldn't do and do things I should. And uh, it, there are several places in the Bible where it says you you need to impact your child's bad behavior or need to correct their bad behavior with punishment that is painful so that they will learn not to do that again. That's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's not a single, a single Testament issue. And so... Paul said, just baseline, everybody, he said, all of us understand this. You did bad things when you were a kid and you got punished and it hurt when you're, when you got a spanking and you learn not to do that again, because you don't want to get a spanking again. And uh, he said, now carry that forward into adulthood. You're not going to get spankings anymore. You're grown, but God still is working toward a harvest of righteousness in our hearts and lives, because we still do things we shouldn't do. Uh, we still say things, act in ways, you know, we sin, we still sin. And so he said, what kind of father would God in heaven be if he just let us off the hook? What if he didn't correct us? Then we would continue to do those things. We would continue, we would, we would continue to, to, to seem like the world when God is saying, I don't want you to be like the world. Don't seem like them. Don't act like them. You're representing me now. So represent me well. Funny how all of that, even the bad decisions that he would allow us to make, it would only lead to our own self-destruction. Yeah. Yeah. He's stopping us from hurting ourselves. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, like when you, you, that's in, back to being a kid, you know, your mom says, don't touch that. It's hot. Then you go touch it and you burn your hand. You're burned. Yeah. And so you've learned something. You reach back to touch it again. The next time your mom, or maybe even the first time smacks you on the hand. You're like, well, if that was going to hurt me, why did you hurt me? But the smack on the hand wasn't nearly as bad as the burn in the fire. So yeah, it is God's trying to save us from ourselves because we will, we left to our own devices, we will self-destruct. We, we've seen that all through human history. Uh, people that will, that refuse to move toward God destroy themselves. Nations have done it and individuals have done it. It's, uh, and so it is a kindness. It is a, it is a, a holy, a righteous kindness that God then does uh, correct us. And sometimes it is, painful. I can remember it was probably after the, whatever the last spanking was I got at some point though, I just remember my dad saying, you've had your last spanking. And he said, at some point you're going to miss it. You're going to wish that it was just a spanking from me instead of God correcting you. Was this recently? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but I still, I do remember that. I remember that conversation. He said, you're going to look back because he, my dad knew me and my personality and how I was, just an arrogant little booger when I was a even a young adult into my twenties. He's like, you're God's going to have to teach you some hard lessons and you're going to wish that it was just me spanking you instead of God correcting you. 
And uh, I mean, he wasn't wishing that on me. He was just telling me straighten up or goodness, it's going to get hard on you. And he was really right. I didn't really listen to him. And I did, I did kind of go my own way until at such time as God said, that'll be quite enough of that. And you became a product of your own decisions. <laughs> did. Yeah. And, but instead of God letting me really self-destruct, he stopped me and uh, gave me a good thwacking and uh, it worked. I came back around. I was like, Ooh, let me not do that anymore. And uh, there is, there, there's just so much blessing and obedience and so much favor and so much joy and peace, which we talked about. I mean, there, there, those things happen on the other side of obedience. If I'm disobedient, I should not expect to have peace and joy in my life because I can't, not really. Spare the rod and spoil the child, right? Yep. Boy, my mom loved that. She, she had said a, that to you? Well, there's a paddle hanging on. It's still there right now. It was hanging by my door. It, my mom, my dad had his paddle named Frank, which was up in the closet, and it was terrifying. And then my mom had a little paddle that she... My mom's an artist and she had like, you know, what toll, toll painting is. Yeah. So she had painted like hearts on it and like these little curly cues and, and vines. But then the verse that oh, she nice. painted on it was spare the rod, spoil the child. And man, she would wail on us with that thing. Eek. I mean, not, not abusively, but I can remember like when we were going to get a spanking from mom, it was going to be with that pretty little paddle hanging in the hallway by Dwayne's door mm. where it still is to this day. It's. Uh my dad wore his. <laughs> oh, that belt? Yeah. Yeah, there'd be times when my dad was so mad. He didn't go for Frank. The, the sound of that belt coming out of those loops. Yep, just like that. Oh, man. Here we go. Run and hide. I'm lying. It wasn't me. It was Darren. It wasn't me. It was Dar my brother, Darren. It was him. Spank him. It didn't work. Yeah, those were not fun days. Man. All right. Let's see. Getting you some joy. So you started off talking about Paul and how moody he was. Was he really? That moody back and forth? Like. Yeah, you know, you just read different parts. Again, as I said, as I was mentioning this in Hebrews, uh, that the particular portion I read Sunday, it is so Pauline. It is just, it has got to be him. Uh, so what? Pauline. Paul, Paul, like Paul. We The things that are of that are similar to Paul. Pauline, Pauline sounds eminent. Yeah, I know. It's true. Pauline Paul, is the lady's name. Paulish. Paulesque. Paulesque or Paulish. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, it is so Paulesque. Though it just sounds like him, and so I mean, those verses are part of the reason. That's why I didn't even often when I read Hebrews in church, I'll tell people now there's some question about who the author here is, but I just don't feel like that part of Hebrews has a question. It's it's just got to be Paul talking. It must be. It fits with everything else he's written, and uh, even the Greek, it, it feels like he might have even written it himself instead of uh, allowing Luke to write it down. So. Somebody even asked me about that uh, because I hadn't mentioned it like I always do. They're like, you didn't say what you normally say, which you're not sure about who wrote this. It's because I'm, man, I'm just so near certain that it was Paul who wrote that spot. So what was the question? <laughs> I was just asking if he was really that. Oh, yeah. Was he really as moody as all that? Yeah. The real question is, Yeah. Uh, you said peace always comes before joy. Yeah. But can you have joy without peace? Oh, right. But the Paul question, I was just wondering. Yeah, it is. It's true that Paul, he really, he, he, there's one point at which he, he's, there's a demon that attended him. I attended, I don't mean served him. I mean, never left him alone. He talks about it. He's, and at one point he said to God, please, will you please get this thorn out of my side? Describing this demon who never left him alone. And, uh, Jesus said, responded to Paul, apparently out loud. And, and in Paul's prayer, he said to him, no, you, you, 
there's a way he sort of said to him, you need that aggravation to keep you close to me. That my, uh, 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 my grace is sufficient. You keep coming back to me and asking for help and I'm going to keep helping you, but I'm not going to run that demon off. He's keeping you humble. And so you can see that in Paul's writings, there would be days when he was just frustrated angry at times, sad, sometimes scared. Like he can, he, his, his emotion came out his, while he was writing was the inspiration of the Holy spirit, but it was, it's still Paul's personality. It's him doing the writing or, 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 or perhaps speaking. And, and maybe somebody else often Luke is the one who was writing it down. You you just can pick up on it and it's, uh, it is remarkable. And so then the question that you ask is, can you have joy without peace? I think, continuing to think about Paul, you can tell at times that he there he was missing peace and he had no joy. He was uh, uh, afraid, uh, hungry. He, he describes this. He says, man, I know what it is to have nothing, to be completely busted, hungry, scared, cold, wet, in trouble. And he said, but what I've learned is I can get through those things. He doesn't, he didn't say I'm always happy in those situations. I'm not always joy filled, but I can get back to a place of joy. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength to endure the difficult times, uh, to make my way back into a sense that at least I'm at peace. And then the outflow of that is joy. I have peace in knowing that God knows my circumstance. There's peace in knowing that he, he cares about the people that I care about. I, I, there's peace in the realization that even right now I feel like, man, I don't have enough. I'm not provided for the bills aren't going to get paid. What in the world's going to happen? But Jesus knows. And there's peace in that. And once I arrive back at a place of peace, if I've meandered away from it, once I come back to a place of peace, then joy is is just they fit together like I said what did I say joy rides uh, peace is the horse that joy rides in on but you can also it's like a lego brick like joy locks to peace the way lego bricks lock together and, and the opposite of that is uh, uh 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 fear like fear just rides on pride they just they lock together and uh and so I was about to take off on a whole nother sermon and topic right then. We can circle back around to that some other time. I keep saying circle back around. What is that? Quit it, Dwayne. Uh, so, yes, the, the answer is where there is peace, I should expect to experience joy. I should expect to experience uh, uh, the joy of the Lord once I have uh, surrendered whatever it is that is aggravating me or frustrating me or angering me to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm feeling bad and I don't like it. My peace is gone and I don't like it. Uh, you live in me. Please may I experience the peace that is built into my soul because Jesus dwells there. Let me sense the peace that is already inside of me. And when I when I do, when I had return to a place of peace, joy just shows up. It's it's right there already. I am happy. I am joyful because I am at peace. It's uh right. it's a wonderful exchange, actually. Okay. Let's move on to the uh David and Nabal stuff real quick. Nabal. Yeah. Nabal. So in the first service, you said that Nabal, Nabal or Nabal, whatever his name was. Yeah. It meant like fool or <laughs> idiot or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but in the last service, you said that it meant a horse's backside. <laughs> yeah. Are these like two ways of saying the same thing? Or yeah, it is. Somebody correct you. Or yeah. Something? No. So I knew uh, to, to say that Nabal, Nab, Nabal, Nabal means a horse's backside is a colloquial. Colo- 
Colloquial. Colloquialism. Colloquialism. Okay. I was just wondering. Yeah. Uh, and so I was, I was just ignoring it, but somebody said that to me. They're like, you know, that it, that it, uh, collo- collo- colloquially, that it does mean a horse's backside. And I was like, yeah, I do. I just didn't. You know how I am. If I talk about it, I'm going to keep talking about it. But then, <laughs> so somebody said that. To hey, you. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, 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 actually, a wonderful lady at church who's boy, she's a Bible studying machine. And uh, she actually, on her way out, she came over and whispered his, whispered it to me. She's like, you know that it actually means a horse's, you know. And I was like, yeah, I was just going to not say it. Hmm. Uh, but then I did, and so it's yeah, it's collo- colloquial in Hebrew, Greek. Latin, English, it's, uh, it's it means the same thing. It's just hanging there on the side. Like if you, okay. when you say Nabal, it means fool, which means that. When people name their kids, was it at birth? Yeah. Then? Yeah. I mean, he, he knew his naming the child. Yeah. That he was calling him a knucklehead. It, I, I, I don't understand that. I mean, except there, there are plenty, you can, there are times in the Bible where the name, a name is given to a child. Because God said to that person's father, it happens more than once. God says to the father, you will name your child this. Even Jesus, the angel, God speaking to the angel, spoke to Joseph and said, you'll name him Jesus. John the Baptist, God spoke to his father, uh, Zechariah, and said, you will name him John. And uh, so there, and going back through scripture uh, repeatedly, God told the parent of the father specifically what to name his son. And I, it seems as if, God said to Nabal's father, your son is going to be a pain in the butt. Horses. And the, yeah, horses backside. And so name him fool. And so he That's did. Crazy. It is crazy. It is crazy. And so, I mean. I mean it's like naming your child stupid or yeah, yeah. doo-doo or something like that. <laughs> yeah, doo-doo. I mean, it's almost like self-fulfilling prophecy. If you grew up with that name, what are the chances you're going to be square? Zero. Yeah, you're going to zero up to that. It's crazy. Yeah, it is really, really something. Um, there, now there are there sure must be. I was going to say there are, but there must be instances where like they had, you know, names too. Like his name was Nabal Bar, whatever his father's name was, Nabal, son of Billy Bob. I don't know what his ever. I don't, I don't know anything about his dad's name. Um, and so maybe he went by another name growing up, like a a, a family name or a second name or some other name. Um. But at some point, like he, he he just started living up to his given name, his God given name, crazy, which was fool or Maybe foolish. That's why he was the way he was. Yeah, I mean, if you're a kid and people are calling you fool all day, like kids are the same back then as they are now, yeah. brutal. So tough life, tough life, hmm. right up to the end. Okay. God, then I was just curious. Way. Yeah, that's all. yeah. Something. Um, you mentioned that Abigail was known as a very wise person. Mm-hmm. Uh, did she marry him for his money? I mean, because it would seem like if she was wise that yeah, people equate wise with knowledge. Yeah, she'd I, have found some other way to make her way than to marry yeah. the village idiot. She was trapped. It was arranged. She probably was betrothed to him when oh, she was okay. little, a little girl. I wonder if his family wasn't wealthy already. Uh, if, it, if it wasn't just him being a self-made man, I mean, he was—he would have been one of the most wealthy people in Israel in his day. And I just wonder if he didn't inherit some of that. If some of it—did they have multiple wives then? Uh, yeah, yeah, they did. It 
it doesn't seem as if he had another one. Well, David was- actually did. When Abigail went to marry him, he already was married yeah. to two or three other ladies, I think. Yeah, I knew he had more than one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they had so multiple that was still, wives. That was still in the day of populate the earth. and Yeah, all they that. were still sort of living that out. It was yeah. still culturally appropriate. And, uh, the, and women outnumbered men. And so for and, – and wealth, the wealth stream traveled only – generally only through men and so for the number of women to be provided for they're just they needed men needed more there needed to be more than one wife just so all these women could be taken care of as it was in that day okay please don't so be she was betrothed she didn't marry him for his money nah she didn't have any choice okay i think gotcha. her dad probably set it up because nabal was wealthy he, and she may have been quite a bit younger than him we don't know that but i wonder also that if she was probably a good bit younger than him as i suspect david was a good bit younger than him and uh so she just ended up in an arranged marriage to a rich guy and probably hated it interesting yeah okay another quick question so david professed that he wasn't going to kill saul Mm -hmm. even told him like you said yeah i could have killed you but i didn't yeah not going to Mm -hmm. well clearly Saul knew David was a man of his word. If David was professing that he wouldn't kill him, why did he keep going after David? Yeah. Saul lost his mind. It The description, to, to read through the description of the last years of Saul's life, the great first king of Israel, who had been a remarkable individual, he fell apart in every way, mentally, physically, emotionally. He just... Man, such a nosedive when, because God took his hand off of him where he had had the anointing and the constant care of God. I mean, Samuel who anointed him, loved him like a son. And it was Samuel had to go to him and say, you will not be king. And I mean, I'm sorry, you'll, you'll die king. But after you, God's torn the kingdom out of your family's hand and given it to another. Samuel had to tell him that. And Saul was just broken by it. I mean, at one point he was so desperate to hear from God that he went to a witch and God spoke to Saul through a demon who looked, who had the appearance of Samuel. God just was, he was so unrepentant. This is the biggest problem. Rather than being repentant, Saul became proud. And so he he continued to pursue David even even though I know he knows, I know know he knew that David was going to keep his word. Saul's plan all along was still to subvert God's plan. He's like, God has has anointed that guy king. I'm going to kill him so that my son will be king. Saul believed that he could subvert God's plan, and he did not stop until he died in a battle right alongside his son, Jonathan, and his body was nailed to the wall of the city. Uh, of the people who who destroyed him, who actually won that battle, he was a, he just went mad. And uh, he, if you go right back to the beginning, when Saul was first anointed king, he we discovered that he had a self esteem problem, which is also a pride problem. Self esteem issues and pride issues are the same issue. When he, as he was being anointed, the crowd, most of the crowd, thousands of people were cheering. Samuel uh, had anointed him. He was he was immediately promoted from the son of Kish, which he was a pretty wealthy guy. But he was promoted from that position, the the handsome son of Kish, to now the king of this nation. And people were cheering and yelling and and just God save the king and God bless Saul. And there was a group, a little group of bad guys somewhere in the crowd, just probably jealous who spoke bad of him, spoke ill of him. And what he should have done was 
snatched those guys up and had them executed. It would have been the right thing to do. I think it was a test that God puts all through. But instead, the Bible tells us that he heard what they said. And to some degree, they were saying he'll never be able to do it. He cannot do this job. I know Saul and this job is bigger than him. Who does he think he is? And Saul didn't correct them. He didn't say anything inside of him. He thought they might be right. And he spent the rest of his uh, kingship with this just little hitch in his soul, wherein he, he kept thinking, I don't think, I don't think God picked the right guy. I don't think God picked the right guy until he proved that right by being rebellious, by disobeying. And then when God said, you were never the right guy, then Saul said, yes, I am. And he then disagreed with God for the rest of his life again. Just, it's just crazy. And so that's why he continued to pursue David. He was trying to disrupt God's plan. Mm -hmm. Saul gave himself over to darkness nearly completely. I don't, I sure want to think that Saul is in heaven. I don't know that he is, but I want to think that he is. Uh, but when he when he died, uh, man, it was it was just sad. It's such a sad, sad story. Um, I don't know. I, I hope somehow things were made right before he died, but it doesn't really seem like they were. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna skip this next little part. We need to get to the end. All right. Um, so, last question: Proverbs seventeen: <laughs> A merry heart does good like a medicine. Yeah. So, in this scripture, is God telling us? to think positively, to be in a good mood. Mm -hmm. And as a follow-up to that, it, it's easy to look at somebody who is not merry or happy or yeah. whatever you want to say right. and say, you know, don't be angry, don't be sad, mm -hmm. that, that kind of thing. But what about people with, like, mental health issues who yeah. suffer from depression or bipolar disorder or any kind of other mental health issue? What what can they do to improve their mood when, you know, they do the normal things and they just don't work? Yeah, I I, I know that when it's a when it's a mental health issue that does, there's a way in which it complicates the, the discussion because, as Solomon said, a merry heart does good like a medicine. But what if a person is really cannot have, uh. uh cannot is that quite the word what what if it is very difficult for a person to have a merry heart because of perhaps some chemical something or uh, uh, some emotional dis disturbance or some horrible thing they've been through that just blocks them they cannot get to a place where their heart is merry uh the first thing i'm going to say and this is because you are a a pharmaceutical genius <laughs> I'm not a pharmaceutical genius. <laughs> yes, you are. You're the you're the you're you're the the wisest pharmaceutical engineer I know. I'm just saying words right now that are all true. Um, but I mean, first of all, please, if there's somebody out there that's struggling with uh, with with mental health issues, find out. I mean, talk to your doctor. Find out if there is a medicine that can help. There is nothing wrong with that. I've heard pastors, even some who I respect say that people should avoid that stuff. And I'm like, no, they should not. Med the, 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 the development of these medications, which has been very helpful to, what is it, millions of people around the world, I suppose? Oh, yeah. Or, yeah, Tens millions of millions, millions yeah. at this point. Man, it's, uh, it is a blessing. And I know that, that you have to do that with care and, and focus. And, I mean, there's a process of maybe even a little trial and error. Fine. If, if the medicine is what 
is what helps, then very good. If something needs, if there's something that is, that is, uh, somehow in my uh, physiology, am I saying that right? If there's something in there that can be corrected medicinally, then I will take that medicine. I do blood sugar, blood pressure, oh, 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 oh zempic, fruit loops and corn and, and frosted flakes. Uh, then we, we should take the medicine and that surely, that sure applies to, uh, mental health issues. If medicine can help, then, uh, to help us get to a place where we can then find a peaceful path, then please take it now uh, beyond the medicine, because it isn't always, it isn't always a medicinal issue. Or I mean, a, a physiological issue that medicine can help. Sometimes it's a person who just is downcast. The, this is a biblical principle too. a person who is just downcast, who won't, who chooses for whatever reason, to look for paths of chaos rather than paths of peace. To look for paths of frustration rather than paths of uh, paths of peace. Sometimes people who grow up in really chaotic situations with with perhaps I'll just use the word bad with bad parents, yeah. bad friends, bad siblings, bad family. If you grow up in a bad situation, then what you've done your whole life is you have, in a way, you've self medicated or you forced your mind to cope with a very difficult reality. And so in that chaos or that chaos then becomes your normal. And some people cannot get out of that, that very abnormal being their actual normal. And, and so finding a path to peace to them feels uh, unnatural. Un, and, and it can even feel unhealthy because that is so, alien to what they are accustomed to. If all they ever, they've only heard bad, seen bad, felt bad and have had to, to, to sort of cope or force themselves into a place of believing that that bad is actually good, that it's normal, that this is something that they can, that they can cope with. It just becomes so hard. But let me say to you, lady and or gentleman, ladies and our gentlemen who are hearing this, who have been through that, there is a way out of that, that, that unnatural existence that you endured for maybe decades was never God's best for you. And in fact, was not his plan for you, but he planned around it. He knew that you were going to have people that were going to be harsh and mean, and that you're, that the peace that you tried to create for yourself as you were growing up, or maybe even some people are going through this right now. The piece that we try to create in our chaos is uh, it, it, there's a, it's kind of a counterfeit to the real thing because the, the piece that God gives lifts us out of that mess. It lifts us above it. Not, not that the, the chaos doesn't still exist, but God's peace lifts us above it so that we don't have to cope with it. Uh, we exist, uh, outside of it, even while we're in it. Boy, I hope that makes sense. I sure mean for that to make sense. He buffers us. The The peace that we create for ourselves, it is a coping mechanism. I'm still in the mess. I'm still, I'm, I'm not, I'm still being hurt by the things that are hurting me. And I am choosing to believe that they're not, or I am, I'm, I'm making them normal, or I'm just, sometimes this does create quite a, a strong obstinance in people. They become just defiant. Like I, this is not hurting me. It's making me stronger. Well, you know, that's what doesn't kill you makes you stronger kind of thing, but that's not true. What doesn't kill you apart from Christ is still killing you. It's still hurt. It's the hurt continues. And so, man, so many people, uh, 
just fight and fight and fight through their through, through really difficult lives and really difficult situations with very difficult people. And so for then for some, I know that some of them heard me on Sunday morning talking about choosing peace and they're like, I can't really do that. They don't really believe that that's possible because they've not, they've never really chosen, uh, chosen, they've never had an opportunity to choose peace. They've only had an opportunity to try to ignore the chaos, to at least survive the chaos, which is not a peaceful, that's like being in a foxhole and you're surviving but man, the bombs are bursting. The bullets are flying. People are screaming. There's death all around you, but you're at least safe in your foxhole. But the pain all around you is still, it's still affecting and terrifying you. So step one is if a person is not a Christ follower, you, you step one is come to him, which is even that that can be so hard for people who have protected themselves, themselves, their whole lives. Boy, that can be hard to trust him. But that is, that's where it begins to come to him and say, all right, Jesus, I've never trusted anybody. I've protected myself my whole life in terrible situations. Terrible. A lot of times people don't even realize the things. Yeah, they don't know. Um, They're so tough that they just don't, they, they can look back and see it, but they don't realize how they've been affected by it. Yeah, yeah. And are perhaps are still being affected by it. So you come to him and say, Lord, I'm going to try to trust you. I need, and, and he, he knows how hard it is. And uh, we can find there's instances in scripture where he is kind of, I'm going to talk about Peter this Sunday where Peter was, and that dude, he, he must've been the product of some pretty harsh upbringing. His dad, whose name was John Simon Johnson. Uh, he, he was a tough character and uh, Jesus helped him through that until he finally became a person of peace and became productive. And so he can do that for anybody. It sure helps by some people just need their family replaced, their old broken family. That's never going to be healthy. They need a church family that loves them and encourages them and gives them a, a sense of being and an opportunity or opportunities to, to exercise their faith and to find the good that's in them that maybe they've never seen. And uh, that that is a, a large part of why the church exists, because God knows, of course, God knows the world is filled with broken people. And that as these broken people come to Jesus and, and believe, become Christ followers, they need a new reality. And the church is here to to create that reality. That's part of why Coast Life Church exists, to help people have a new, delightful experience with Jesus and find their way through into peace, which is followed by joy. All right. Yeah. You got anything else you want to add today? Uh, the last thing you said. Ladies and gentlemen, he's looking over our I'm looking, note sheet. I'm looking down. That last thing you said, what can they do to improve their outlook when all the normal things, when all the normal things that people do don't work? I think if you're, if your outlook is, is uh, sketchy, if you're looking forward and it's just like, Ooh, it's going to be tough. I got, I can, I'm going to, you know, gut it out. I can survive this, but you know, you're going to do it with your own grit. Those you, if that's the way you feel, I know you need a break. You're tired. It's exhausting. And your heart's tired. Your mind's tired. Your soul's tired. And I'm, it, this is not just the church and church answer. Jesus said, come to me. If you're weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. And there are people who are going to hear this who need some rest. They're they're worn out from fighting. And uh, Jesus, this is why it's the last thing I'm going to say today. Jesus is saying to you, whoever you are out there, just come to him. He wants to 
take off all the heavy, hard stuff and replace it with something that's brand new that is going to be life-giving. All right. That's my last thought. All right. With that, we'd like to invite everyone to join us at Coast Life Church on Sunday morning for one of our worship services, or you can also join us on Wednesday night for family night. On Wednesdays, we have free pizza still, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. We have free pizza for those in attendance. Yeah. Uh, We then split up into groups, uh, the women's group, the men's group, the kids. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) It's just how it works. (laughs) I feel like I'm only talking to you. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Uh, Don't don't forget to give the Purple Apron a call for any of your sweet tooth cravings. You can text her at 228-265-2777. That's Mariah Arif of the Purple Apron. 228-265-2777. Also, if you have any questions about any of the topics we have discussed here on the podcast, Please feel free to shoot me an email, and I'll get Pastor D to give you an answer. Oh, right on. So, sir, if you wouldn't mind closing us out with a prayer, we will put a bow on this one and <laughs> toss it under the tree. <laughs> like a gift. We're wrapping it up and yeah. putting it under the tree. Yeah, Christmas. For everybody to open. It is almost This Christmas. evening when it publishes. <laughs> well, Jesus, thank you for this gift that Joe is going to wrap and throw under a tree for some reason at the end of February. Thank you for uh, for giving us a pathway to peace. That Jesus, you are the pathway to peace. The peace that you described as uh, describe as being beyond what we can comprehend. There's a big old load of people in the world who need that. Billions of people who walk around in chaos, who need peace uh, uh, that is beyond what they can comprehend. And so, Father, I know that the only way to that peace is by accept, accepting you, by turning our lives over to you. And so. Uh, for those who might be hearing this who have not yet done that, I ask that today would be the day when they would just say, I'm in, Jesus, save me. And that in doing so, they would experience that salvation and the peace that accompany, accompanies it and the joy that, that, that rides in on it. I just, I, I, I know that's what people need the most, more than anything. And so I ask you to, to continue to bring that, uh, to cause that, that exchange to happen in the hearts and lives of people that we get to connect with on this podcast and in this church. We love you. We thank you and uh, look forward to doing even more wonderful things in your name for your glory and our good in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you for tuning in everyone to another episode of thinking out loud with pastor D. I hope we'll see you all here again next week. Bye-bye. We're going to see you all next week. That's a lot of people rolling up in this room. We're going to see them. We'll see them. All right. We, we imagine you. I'll just ignore him, please. Oh, oh, I'm imagining you all right now. Bye. Are they all going like this? <laughs> yeah, they're rocking out. Rocking out. That's a corny. <laughs> <laughs>